Hey, good evening, everybody. Um, this episode is for English 11 and AP Lit. We're doing a joint combined episode tonight. Um, English 11, you may not know this, but it's Wednesday, which means that it's Poetry Wednesday. So, hey, 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 don't, uh, don't hit pause or stop yet, everybody. Let me finish. Okay, so here's the deal. So last week, I posted a poem for Poetry Wednesday to AP Lit, and a student contacted me and said, hey, you should have posted Mr. Malash's poem. If you don't know this, Mr. Malash wrote a really special poem for the senior class, and he posted and emailed it to everybody in the, in the, in the school, and if you haven't seen it or heard it, it was, it, it was awesome. And you are in luck, everybody. Tonight, I am so excited to announce I have my first guest on my podcast. Um, I have an interview with Mr. Malash coming up. And I just want everybody to know this was previously recorded from I was in my house. He was in his house. We did not violate the social distancing rules. I have this really cool app that I'm using. So I was able to interview Malash about the poem that he wrote for the seniors. Um, I also have this other great idea. Well, I think it's a great idea for a podcast that I want to do a little spinoff project. Um, I really want to do something for the whole high school and Berkeley community that people can listen to who uh, um, our students at our school. I want to do it for the staff at our school. I want to do it for the alumni of our school. And I, um, I want to do a podcast called This Book Changed My Life, where I interview Berkeley staff members about books that changed their life. So I not only talked to Malash about his poem that he wrote for the class of 2020, but I also interview him about a book that changed his life. And English 11, if you're looking for a good SSR book, I will tell you this, the book that Malash recommends is a perfect book for a junior in high school. So guys, here we go. Let's get him on the pod. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mr. Malash. Andy Malash, can you hear me? I can hear you. This is so wild. This is uh, incredibly wild. I know. Isn't this awesome, though? It's 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 very unique. I'll give it that. <laughs> um, you're my first guest on my podcast. Oh, right. So I this feel is like very really, privileged. Really exciting for me. Um, okay, you're on because it's Poetry Wednesday, even though we're recording this on a Tuesday, and it's funny because last Wednesday I posted the poem for the week, and immediately, um, Ali Bonello, who's like so connected to my podcast and I see her on Instagram all the time. She was like, you should have posted Malash's poem. And I was like, dang it. You're right. I should have posted Malash's poem. So, um, the people want it. The people want to hear from you, Malash. All right. So we're going to start with you just reading the poem out loud. Okay. Okay. Go you ready for me? me? Whenever you're ready. Okay. So, um, I called my poem an ode to my wonderful seniors. To the senior class of 2020, the last several weeks must feel like swimming upstream. The COVID-19 interrupted your study, and to make matters worse, you became quarantined. Your high school years have had nothing but turbulence, as you've braved both the familiar and the unknown. Each of you, I know, has incredible substance, enduring, courageous, while achieving milestones. 
And now you are seniors, your best year has derailed. Many canceled events, there's been such a high cost. Regardless of what happens, I know you'll prevail. It is not yet the time to think everything is lost. You've lived in times that will be studied by scholars, persisting to achieve much greatness together. Integrity, distinction, kindness, and honor, and being your leader has been such a pleasure. So stick with each other, look out for your classmates, love one another as you have done since day one. I know that falling apart will not be your fate. At the end of this mess, like always, you'll have won. That's amazing. Um, first of all, have you gotten feedback from people on it? I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from kids and parents and staff members. Um, people felt very touched by it. And, and that was really my intention in writing it was to add some sort of way to make this a little tiny bit better. It's not going to obviously solve problems and cure COVID and um, make us go back to school any sooner. But I just wanted people to know that I'm thinking about them and I care about them and I love them. And um, that was me putting my my words into writing. Okay. How did you, this is my biggest question is like, I want to know, like, how did you, you're sitting at home thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm just thinking about my seniors. I think I want to write a poem. Like, how did you get to, <laughs> I have all these thoughts. I need to write a poem. Like that, like, could, you could have easily written them a letter. Sure. No. And I've been doing a lot of that already. You know, I've been sending like one to two kind of alerts out a week. I've been right. doing some stuff on Instagram to kind of connect with kids and make them feel like they're still a part of something. Right. And one of the things that's been kind of nice and good about this whole mess is I've been doing a lot of writing and most of it's just been prose and just me writing my thoughts down and journaling and doing a lot of that. But um, also like, I think it was a few weeks, like the first week of this thing, I had a friend who was really struggling with this whole thing. And so I wrote kind of like a silly, stupid poem about the whole thing, which is very politically incorrect. And I won't go into that right now, but um, it kind of opened Wednesday, up. Next Wednesday. Next <laughs> Wednesday. Yeah. If I want to keep my job, I won't read that one out loud. Awesome. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> and so out of that kind of creativity and spontaneity of just writing, um, I kind of like threw a few lines down and started thinking about seniors. And then, you know, for some reason, I just got into this 12 syllable thing. And I was like, oh, 12th graders. And then, you know, I wrote a few stanzas. It's like, I bet I could do five stanzas. And, um, and that'll be like my class of 2020, the 20 lines, I'm going to mm -hmm. write them. And, uh, and then I started looking at looking at the syllables and like, holy cow, I'm pretty close to this 314. I can probably make this work. And that's when the uh, math brain and the English brain yeah, kind of collided a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so yeah, out of that just came this, this creation, I guess. Um, okay, so you went through that kind of fast, but I just want to ask this about the syllable count. Like, at what point? Did you feel like the, at what point did you, like, did you stumble upon the syllables or did you set out saying like, I really want this to have a certain shape or sound or feel? Um, I started out with the, the initial thing was the 12 syllables per line. Cause that was just seeming to work with what I was doing. Okay. And then um, when obviously if my rhyming scheme, every other, like right. that lent to four lines per stanza. And then right. I was like, huh, if I do five stanzas and many lines. This is the class of yeah. 2020. Um, yeah. Thankfully, it wasn't the class of 2019. That just wouldn't have worked out. And uh, <laughs> yeah, great point. <laughs> and then by the end of it, um, I was like, 
you know, so that, that gave me, I think, 240 syllables just with the poem itself. And then with that, I kind of came up with the other stuff of getting it to that 314 uh, to make it work for everyone having their own syllable. Yeah, that's awesome. I do think it's cool. Like a lot of kids in AP Lit will be like, oh, you know, like poetry's not really for me. And I can understand that. But I do think it's cool to hear you talk about your math, like you, you, like your math brain being welcomed into your poetry brain and that those two things coexisted. Did you have any background? Do you have any background in poetry or like, do you read it or what? You know, these words like stanzas, like <laughs> where is this coming from? Well, I do have an English minor. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, that little known fact about Mr. Malash. He's never taught English, but he can teach English. Um, and so, Got no, it. I've just always been, uh, the answer, the, the short answer to it is no, I don't have some training or anything like that in poetry. I never even really took a class on poetry. Um, I took a lot of like literature classes and that's probably where my English minor came more from is just like a love of literature, love of reading, love of classic literature and talking about classic literature. I ended up just taking so many classes in college that I was so close to that minor that I just went for it. But mm -hmm. with that, too, I, I do appreciate all forms of writing, poetry being one of them. And I even remember as a kid, like the Shel Silverstein book, like right. reading through those goofy little poems. And I remember in high school, like E.E. E. Cummings poems were so different than anything else I'd seen. And so um, I do appreciate it. I don't read it as much as I probably should um, and dive into it as much as I should. But I've always had uh, appreciation and fascination with it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I never knew these things about you, Malash. I Who know. Knew Who knew? You could jump in and teach English. And all it took was this, like, massive, horrendous pandemic to bring this out of me. It's funny you say that because I have been, like, talking about on my podcast and um, communicating with students, which is a weird word to say, um, about, like, what do you do now that you didn't – it took a pandemic for you to do what, right? Right. And – I think for so many of them, they are like, you know, baking or crafting or knitting or all this stuff. So journaling is another great one that I'm sure you're not the only person who's been like, oh, my God, there's so much in my brain. I got to write this stuff down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, OK, so another uh, thing that I want to start doing is interviewing teachers about books that change their life. So sure. obviously, I'm just a champion. I keep wanting to. I didn't mean to say that I am a champion, though I could be. But I'm saying, like, I just want to champion reading independently for students out there. Like, that's probably the best thing they could be doing with their time. And I even say, like, on the podcast, if you're not reading my book, the books that I'm putting out there, I really just want you guys reading. So can you tell us, do you have a book that changed your life? Absolutely. Well, first off, before I go into that, you are a champion, Miss Ford. Don't let anyone <laughs> ever tell you Guys, differently. You uh, are a champion. Put it on the big board. All right. You probably even need like a shirt that says that. Definitely. Uh, you just gave me my, my project for the day. All right. And, and and perhaps even like your intro song should be like Freddie Mercury, We Are the Champion, like when you start your podcast. You probably need some podcast right. music when you roll it, it in. it down right, right now. Okay. So, um, yes, there is a book that changed my life. Um, <clears throat> my favorite author, um, is Mitch Albom and I've always, I love everything he's written as a kid. I love reading his sports articles. Um, as an adult, like I've really appreciated the books he's written and Tuesdays with Maury has had a very profound effect on me. Um, it's one of the few books I've read multiple times. Um, I'm not a huge person for rereading books. Once I've read it, I read it and I put it away. But um, that's a book I've read multiple times. And it just 
it keeps me a little bit grounded in, in what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and what's important in my life. And, you know, I get emotional every time I read it and I feel like I need to reevaluate my priorities every time I read it. And so, you know, I find myself keep having to come back to that book um, to realign myself to probably what's most important. Cause I do drift from time to time and I do lose right. sight of things. And I mean, even like you said, like the silver linings of this whole mess is, like I'm realizing, you know, I need to be better about my family time and spending time with them and stopping what I'm doing to go outside with them or spend time. So, yes, there, there, that book has always helped me ground myself and, and make sure that I'm not straying too far from what's most important in my life. Can you give us a brief overview of the premise of the book? Yes. So Mitch Album, um, it's actually a. It, it's weird. It's like a, it is a, I would consider it a nonfiction book, but he kind of reconnects with his old college professor um, when his professor's on his dying deathbed. And um, so he goes out there every Tuesday and ends up kind of realizing how far he's strayed from his goals in life and what's most important in his life. And it's, it's interesting too, because I feel like I noticed a change in his writing even after that book, you know, he just has a yeah. much more reflective tone. Um, but there's a lot of life lessons in it about what's most important and what we should care about. And it, it's incredibly emotional. It's probably a hard book to read right now, but probably right. all, all the more important to read right now, right. because I think we're all starting to realize what's most important to us in all of this. Yeah, um, it's interesting because that like, and I'm not, um, I'm not. This is this is just an observation. Nothing about you and you, what you like to read. But Tuesdays in the Morning is like a very accessible book, even for high school students. Like, and you know, you said you enjoyed classic literature. Like for students who are wondering, like, what kind of book is Tuesdays in the Morning? Like, I think you'd agree that it's like anybody could read this book and understand a hundred percent of it, which I think is like an appeal of Mitch Alba. No, um, absolutely. And I think you know, I, I remember reading. Once that they said like newspaper articles are written at like a fifth grade level. Right. Um, and, and I feel like Mitch Album's writings are, are written at a very accessible level and it's, it's a very quick read. I bet if you sat down, it probably would only take you, you know, a few hours to read it. Um, but it's, it's nice. You can pick it up, put it down. You can read for five minutes and read a couple chapters um, or you can plow through it for a couple hours at a time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then um, my mom just, okay. He, he had a new memoir just come out called finding cheek. Have you read this or have you heard about it? I did. I read it on the oh, uh, the, the three hour uh, van ride in the Dominican Republic to the airport. Um, I read it on that and uh, got a little emotional with that one, too, with having a daughter myself and yeah. uh, it, it, everything he's ever written. I've just loved. Was it weird, I guess, to be in the DR and read that? And like you have the whole kind of scene. Not I know it's not the exact scene, obviously, but you know, like you're in a new, you're like kind of not taking his same journey, but was it an interesting experience to read it while you were not just away from your family, but on an Island that, um, I don't know, has seen a lot of devastation. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy The you know, this year and last year when I did both times, I read a book that had a lot of significance in my life. And, um, it's interesting just the context of it because it's about a, you know, a, a girl that Mitch Album and his wife kind of took in from Haiti. They run an orphanage there. Haiti's the western end of that island with the Dominican Republic. And uh, it, it is interesting in the context of what you see and, you know, just the, the poverty you see around it. it it's definitely 
very different reading it in a place like that. And I didn't plan it that way at all. It just happened right. to be the book I brought and read there. But um, it definitely gives different contexts and undertones to what you're reading. And, and it, it makes it more meaningful, I guess. Yeah, I bet. Um, okay, so I should have led with this question. This is the question that I want to start with when I do um, this book, Change My Life. But I'm interested to know what what you're childhood reading or being read to experience was like like did you grow up with books um did people read to you do you do you remember books that you read by yourself like what do you remember about reading as a as a kid sure um yes tons of books in my house um my mom is and a super avid reader she's one of the people that goes to the library every week comes home with like six or seven books and then the next week goes and and gets a whole nother collection of them. Uh, my dad reads quite a bit too. Like when he was working, he would not read as much, but in the summer he'd read a ton of stuff too. Um, and then, you know, we too, we would always get to buy books. I remember grandparents giving me like a B. Dalton gift card every, I don't know if you remember. B. B. Dalton, oh my God. Pull, pull that out that. of the archives, Ford. Like B. Dalton gift card every year. And I would go, and for, for the, the, 18 year olds listening right now that's like the borders barnes and noble of right. its time back when malls were a thing um yeah. but yeah I, I totally remember that and uh i remember having to read books in school sometimes i liked them sometimes i didn't sometimes i thought i wasn't gonna like them but sometimes i ended up liking them i still remember in fourth grade when they like assigned all these books and my teacher gave me this like massive 400 page book about like horses or something like that i don't even i really should look up the title of this book and i remember going home and crying that day because my book was like five times longer than everyone else's but it ended up being a really great book and i liked it and i got through it and there's a sense of accomplishment when i finished it and yeah so um um, yeah, like I, I, I just, I wish I spent more time reading like it. This has been nice and that I've had some time to sit down and do some reading. Like I don't force myself enough to do it because whenever I do, I feel really good about it. And, you know, I've got a stack of books that I just keep working through slowly, but surely. Um, but I should yeah. probably be going through those a little bit faster. Yeah, I have. I know that I've reconnected with reading now just because it's like the best distraction, like just to think yeah. about something else besides what's happening um okay last question are you reading anything good right now that you find to be healthy in its in its I don't know distraction from the heavy reality that we all have are you reading anything that or do you have anything that you go back to I know that you're a Foxtrot fan I know my son like loves to read just because it kind of calms him down a little bit and makes him laugh a little do you have anything that you're reading now or something that you go back to to help you temporarily um, escape from some things that we have to see and hear about every day? Um, so probably not super lighthearted or it's, it's not necessarily, I'm reading right now, uh, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh yeah. I heard um, that's a good one. Can you talk about it a little bit? Yeah. So he, I, I'm just into it. I'm probably only about 60 or 70 pages in, but, um, Malcolm Gladwell is a nonfiction author and he's, he's almost like a researcher. He does a lot yeah. of, uh, I, I, I've read every book he's written because they're just super interesting and it's you just never know what he's going to talk about next um but talking to strangers is really about the idea of how bad we are at detecting when people are lying to us um got it and, and so he right now what he's mostly been talking about in the intros are these cuban spies that um they were supposed to be in 
you know, the CIA and the DIA and these like intelligence agencies in the US and for years, well-respected the experts on Cuba and come to find out like they were all actually Cuban double spies <laughs> and working for the Cubans and none of us knew it. And so, you know, they would routinely have these lie detector tests that sometimes they would fail, but people would say, well, those aren't entirely accurate. Like we're very quickly to rush to like assuming someone's telling the truth when really just most of the time they are lying and it's just showing kind of digging into how bad we are about people like detecting whether or not people are telling us the truth yeah. or not. Yeah. That sounds, I, I haven't read, well, I read outliers. That was a long time ago though, but um, I do listen to his podcast revisionist history, which I think is good. It's always like, Hey, you think you know this story, but actually you know nothing. And the complete yeah. opposite is the truth yeah. of what you thought it was. It's like, his yeah. Name. Yeah. He's, he's an insane researcher, like the level of detail he goes through to like, I mean, he, I think his books only come out like once every two or three years because he does a lot of yeah. detailed research on them. But um, it's very thorough. He's got tons of footnotes, which are usually super interesting. Um, and I just feel like every time I read a page of his books, I get smarter and I learn something. So, um, Well, Milash, that wraps up our interview. Thank you so much. All right. Everybody is going to be so pumped to hear you on. Um, Excellent. On- I'm English so radio. honored that I'm the first guest and we got to get that theme music rolled out though. We are the champions. <laughs> All right. Th- I really appreciate the suggestion. All right. Thanks so much for joining me, Malash. <laughs> All right. Bye. See ya. Bye.